been really in depth. There's been a lot that we have been talking about. There's been a lot that we've been going through. And we've gone through quite a few names. Johnny's gone through quite a few names. And so, remember, we've talked about Jehovah Jireh, right? Jehovah Jireh, that is provider. God is provider. And then there's Jehovah Rapha, and that's the Lord your healer. We talked about cleansing and cleaning and the cleaning of the heart, right? And then uh, after that, we talked about Jehovah Nisi, and that's the Lord is our banner. And the Lord is our banner. We talked about what it looks like to self-sacrifice and to point towards God and to, to allow him to be represented by us. And then we talked about Jehovah Shalom, right? Jehovah Shalom, and that's about the Lord is peace. He's our peace. He is the peace for the world, and that we are supposed to be peace for the world. And so today we're going to be finished up with one more name, one more name. But before we talk about that name, I'm going to tell you a quick story, all right? I'll tell you a quick story. So when I was in high school and kind of a little bit into college, uh, does anybody outside of maybe some of the leaders that might know, do any of the students know where I worked when I was in high school? Anybody know? No, I did not. I wish. I did work at a paint store. I worked at Sherwin-Williams. Gia's my favorite eighth grader. I'm just saying that right now. Okay. Um, I worked at Sherwin-Williams. So yeah, it's a paint store. It's, uh, uh, it was, you know, it was a fine job. But now looking back at it, I remember a disgusting amount of information about paint. Like, I know a lot of stuff about paint, stuff that I'm probably never going to use in my life. Like, I could probably look, tell you what paint they used on these walls, and it was probably, if you're wondering, most likely super paint. So, and then if I got close enough, I could probably tell you the color even. Like, that's how much I remember, which is really gross. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to because I don't really care enough. Um, so, but before all that, uh, I didn't know anything about paint. I literally started that job because I needed money. So... I was supposed to be a salesperson, but I didn't work the sales floor a lot because I just didn't know a lot. So I worked in our warehouse a lot. We had a warehouse, and not many Sherwin-Williams had a warehouse. And we would get shipments of paint on like those big wooden pallets, and we'd have to put them away. We'd have to put stuff where it was supposed to go. We'd put it all up on these shelves and things like that. And we would usually just get a bunch of one-gallon buckets. But we would also get five-gallon buckets. So you could probably picture a, a, like a one-gallon, uh, you could probably picture a one-gallon bucket of paint. Now think of like those orange buckets that you would see from like Home Depot. Those are the ones that are five-gallon buckets. It's a lot of paint. It's all white in there because you color it later. And what you do, what we would have to do is put them throughout the warehouse. And so I, would, I was cutting these down, and I, I got a dolly, you know, those carts that have two wheels on them, and I was, like, wheeling it around. And I was like, all right, I bet you I could get three five-gallon buckets on here. I could get 15 gallons of paint on this thing. And so I put, 15, I put three gallon buckets on it, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. It's pretty heavy, but I feel good. And I go, and I start to wheel it, and as I'm wheeling it, I hit one of the corners of the pallet, and that, it goes down, and... Before I know it, there's 15 gallons of paint all over the ground, all right? And it was a lot. And it took me about two days to clean up with a lot of paint thinner. So it, was a, it took a long time. And it wasn't until after that two days that I learned that there was actually a dolly that was made for five-gallon buckets. But nobody told me. So uh, I guess the, the reason I tell you this story is because you live and you learn, all right? You live and you learn. Kind of. So when I say this, when I tell you the story, it's because I started out naive, and through some struggling and through some hardship, I definitely learned what it was supposed to be, where I was supposed to go with that. And so today we are talking about the name Jehovah Makadesh, Jehovah Makadesh, and that is the Lord who sanctifies. 
the Lord who sanctifies. And so you might see that word up there, sanctifies, and you may, you may have no idea what that means. And that's okay. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this, the Lord who sanctifies. And today's word comes from an old passage in the book of Leviticus. Has anybody ever read the book of Leviticus in here? Man, I've, I, good for you, because it's a hard one to get through. If you don't know what it is, the book of Leviticus is basically a bunch of laws for, the old, for Jews in the Old Testament. And they would take it and they would read and they'd have to go and learn, this is how you follow God, this is how you become more like him, this is how you follow him better. And it was, it's really hard to read now. But it was really important at the time. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this passage from here that talks about what it looks like to follow God closely. And he gives us a certain scenario that we're going to follow. So go ahead and take a look up at the screen, and we are going to read through this together. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut him off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am Yahweh Mekadesh. I am the Lord who sanctifies. It's pretty hard. There's some hard words in there. There's some intense wording in there. So what this passage is about is about human sacrifice. Pretty wild. At the time, there were people that were saying, we have to take other humans and kill them to sacrifice to Molech, this other god, this fake god, this person that they're sacrificing to, this deity. And they were doing it, and they were listening to these necromancers or these sorcerers. These are people that say they can communicate with the dead or that they can do magic and all this stuff. And they were saying, you, could, you have to go, and you could go to the temple, the temple of God, and you can go and sacrifice these people there to your God. Or you can sacrifice them to Molech. This is real stuff. This is all stuff that actually happened. This isn't stuff that just happens in movies. And so we're putting this in here, and God is saying... That is not me. I am not that God. That you are listening to these worldly influences. You are listening to these people that say that they are wise. You are listening to these people that say they know what they're talking about instead of me. And if you don't do anything about it, if you don't do anything about it, then I'm going to do, anything, do something about it. That's what God is saying. He's saying, I'm going to turn my face from them. I'm going to send them away. And their clan is not going to have a part of this. It's intense stuff. And it all comes together there at the end when he talks about how he sanctifies. So I had a friend when I was growing up uh, in middle school. 
he had like a yard cat, like one of those cats that kind of like hangs out outside, you know, and he, it was nice. It was a nice cat. And it kind of just, it hung around and it like, you could pet it, you could play with it. And it obviously was really appreciative of the people that own the house, that own the property. Because what it would do is it would go and it would kill a mouse and it would bring it to the people that own the house. And they, it would leave it there on the doorstep or leave it there on the porch or wherever. And it would be like, hey, here's a gift. Thank you for feeding me. Thank you for taking care of me. This is for you. I wanted to give this to you. And the humans were like, what the heck are you doing? You know, like, this is disgusting. You're leaving this bloody mess all on my front doorstep here. And they eventually started to, like, teach this cat to not do that anymore. And it started to do a little bit less here and there. It would still do it every once in a while, but it did it less and less. We are that cat. Or at least the people in the story are that cat. They are doing what's in their nature. They're listening to humans. They're listening to other people, getting wisdom from them. And they're saying, all right, I'm going to do this and give the sacrifice to this to my God. But God has given them guidance. He's given them rules. He's given them laws to understand this is how what you're supposed to do to follow me. But they're listening to humans. And what this passage is coming at the end is saying is that listen to me. I'm, listen to God. Listen to, listen to what I have for you, is what he's saying. I will sanctify you. I will grow you. And so you might not know what the word sanctify means. And that's okay, because our first question is, what does it mean to be sanctified? What does it mean to be sanctified? It's a weird word. You may have heard it, like I said, but if you don't know what it is, that is okay. So there's this guy. He's a famous uh, theologian. He's just a really smart guy. He has a definition for us. He says, sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. All right, if you read that, if you heard that, and that was confusing to you, that's okay. Most people get confused by this stuff. So what it is basically saying is that God is working in your heart. If you are a believer, God is working in your heart to change you and to make you better to grow you closer to him, to make you more like him. He's changing you. He's working on you. He's helping like knit out some of those flaws. He's, and what this, what this is saying, what Grudem is saying here is that you have a part in this. Like you participate in this. You get to work with God in this, which is cool. It's a privilege. That's a big deal. And so when we're talking about this, it could be kind of confusing. So take a look at this, uh, at this graph I have up on the screen here. So this is what sanctification looks like, right? So at the bottom there, you see slaves to sin. That's if, when you're not a believer, when you don't follow Jesus, when you're not a Christian, when you're not like basically actively giving your life for him. And then there's that dark section at the top, and that is perfect holiness. That's after you die, when you die, and when you're with God forever, you are perfectly holy. And the place where you're at right now, if you are a follower of Christ, if you're a believer, is you are growing in holiness. You are in that middle part. You're in that part that's kind of growing, that's changing, that's moving up. And you see, it's not a straight line. It's not a straight line that goes straight up, but it's kind of jagged. It goes up and down. It's not a perfect line. And that's because we're not perfect people. Not yet. We're messy. We're broken. We mess up all the time. We do things wrong all the time. We sin all the time. And so our growth progress is not a straight line that just shoots right up, or at least at an angle. There's hills. There's valleys. There's some struggles. There's some hardships. But if you are a follower of Christ, if you are giving him your life, 
it is always going up at least. It never drops back down to that part where you're a slave to sin. But it's always going up. But it doesn't mean it doesn't come without its hardships. So how do we get sanctified? That's the question. How do we get sanctified? Well, in the Old Testament, like I said, there was a lot of like rules, a lot of things that you have to follow. Like if you had to open up the, the, the book of the law and you had to see what you had to do. And there were things like here, how to build the temple. There were things like, here's food you're allowed to eat. Here's food you're, you're not allowed to eat. There were even things like, here's how you should dress. There were even ones that like, here, how, you have to trim the corners of your beard this way to a certain length at a certain point. Like, there's super specific laws in there. And a lot of them were to keep them safe, like to keep like hygiene, to make sure that they were like good in a good spot. And some of them were like, here's how to follow God better. Here's ways that you can give yourself to God better. And you're like, well, we, we don't follow those laws anymore. At least I don't think so. And you're right, we don't. And that's because something has changed. Look at this passage. We're going to look at Hebrews 13. It says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So we see this immediate connection, that there's this connection starting off where we see this is the law, this is what sacrifices look like, this is where the animals went after they were sacrificed. And Jesus did that too. See, when you had sinned, you had to atone for your sin by killing an animal, a certain animal, by depending on your sin. But we no longer have to do that because Jesus gave his life. He atoned for our sin. He is the one that gave us, did the sanctifying work on the cross. Hear that word, sanctifying. Because God is our sanctifier. And our sanctification lives on the fact that Jesus spilled perfect blood. He spilled sinless blood. He gave his life so that others can live. Because of that, we can be sanctified by putting our faith in him, by following him, by seeking after him. That is why we're always on the up and up. That's why we're never going down is because of what Jesus did. And mostly, a lot of that leads to holiness. But that's my next question, is what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be holy? That's a very good question. There's a lot that goes into that. And I think, I wasn't in here, but I think Johnny mentioned holiness, or at least talked briefly about it last week, about how people who are afraid of God's holiness because it's unfathomable, it's unthinkable. Like, it's just, you can't grasp it. And when you're in the midst of his holiness, it's too much. So, but what does it mean to be holy? Because we are being made holy when we're being sanctified. Holiness is to be distinctly set apart. I want you to write that somewhere in your sheet. There's not a spot for it, but just find a place to put that. Is that holiness is to be distinctly set apart. To be distinctly set apart. That you are distinctly put into this new family. You're distinctly a part of this new group. You are uniquely put placed there. That you are a part of it, and you are being made holy. 
And that starts because God is first perfectly holy. That he is the one that is holy. He is the definition of holiness. He is everything about holiness. He is what holiness is. Let's look at the, back at Leviticus 20. You shall be holy for me, or to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. See, God wants us. He wants us. And he wants us so bad that he sets us apart. That he allows us to participate in that holiness. That he allows us to be a part of everything that he has there. And it's beautiful. We are distinct because he is distinct. We get to be unique because he is first unique. We get to be made holy because he is first holy. And that only comes through sanctification. That only comes from growing it. And so we are set apart because we are Christians in this world. And we've been set apart in a new way. Look at First Peter with me. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is a call to action. This is a call to do something. That we shouldn't be fooled by the things that we were fooled by before. We shouldn't be following the worldly things that we were following before because we're being made holy. We're set apart. We are distinct. We're made new. We're being made like Christ. It's an amazing thing because we get to participate and we get to be a part of what God has. It's beautiful. And that's part of sanctification. That is part of being made holy. Those things, that, that's what I mean when I say sanctification. We are being made holy. Is that we are constantly putting those things, those worldly things, those sinful things behind us. Those things are constantly being put behind us because we're striving after what it looks like to follow God. So the question then is, are we holy? Are we holy? Well, yes. Yes. And no, not really. So I guess kind of. I mean, kind of is probably the best answer that we're going to come up with here. Like, we're kind of holy. Almost kind of, you know. Let me, uh, let's, let's talk about this. Let me try to break this down a little bit. So are we holy? Yes, because God sees us as his set-apart people. God sees us as a set-apart people. He sees us as righteous. He sees us as good. He sees us as people that deserve to be with him, even though we don't. That's how he views us. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, because of what his sanctifying blood, because of what he did, we are able to be with him. We don't have to worry about fulfilling those laws. We don't have to keep sacrificing animals. That when God sees us, when he views us, he sees us the way he sees his son. If you are, have your faith in Christ, that's how he sees you. Let that be encouraging. Let that be enriching. But it's also no, right? No, because we have not achieved a perfect holiness. Remember at the top there, there, at the top of that graph that I showed you, there's perfect holiness. And perfect holiness only comes after death. 
The perfect holiness only comes after death. We're not perfectly holy. We still mess up. That line is still jagged. It's still falling apart. We are not perfectly holy. And that's a big word. I'm going to leave, say it, and then that's going to be it. It's called glorification. We're going to be glorified one day. We get to be with God for eternity. And it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. If that's stuff you are interested in, if you want to know more about that, sign up for Theology 101 because we're definitely going to be covering that stuff. So are we holy? Yes and no. So kind of is the point of Mekadesh is that we are constantly being made holy. We're constantly being made holy. So God set us apart and he views us that way, but we're not 100% there because we still sin. We still mess up. We still slip up. But we are being sanctified. We are being made holy. We are being made more like Christ. Remember, Jehovah Makadesh, that he is our sanctifier. He is growing us. We, the thing is that what we have to do about this is we are set apart. So we have to actually act like we're set apart. Remember, I said that we participate in this, that sanctification is something that we get to be a part of. And it's beautiful. Like, it's an amazing thing. But what we have to show is that we desire God. We have to, we, if you are a believer, you're striving to be more like him. And that looks like things like if your friends are partiers, or if your friends like to drink, it's distancing yourself from that. It's saying no. If, you know, like, you are really into sports, and you would rather skip coming to church on a Sunday morning to watch the Browns game, it's saying, all right, I would rather come to church than watch the Browns game every week. It's like if you're sitting in this room right now and uh, you're tempted to look at your phone or maybe your friends around you are looking at your phone instead of paying attention, it's like saying, no, I'd rather put my phone down and hope to hear something from this message. It's a little personal for some of you, huh? Uh, it is constantly being sanctified. It is constantly us growing. It's constantly being us being made better. And God is constantly working on our heart. But remember, it looks a lot more like this. Remember? It's jagged. It's not perfectly straight up. It's not going to be like, this is exactly where you're going. But there's going to be ups and downs. We are messy. We are broken. You are going to slip up. And because of Jesus' work on the cross, God still views you as righteous. And that's a blessing. And it doesn't mean that like, you can say, oh, well, I'm just going to you know, say I'm saved and put my faith in him, and then I'm good to go right to the top, you know? And uh, I'm just going to take a seat and uh, kind of see what happens for the rest of my life. That's not how it works. That's, that's an abuse of grace. That's not actually desiring. It doesn't show heart change. Because remember, you're not working for your salvation. You're not working for your faith. Jesus has, takes care of all that. But a true heart change looks like a desire to follow after him. True heart change looks like you are seeking after him. That when you mess up, when you slip up, you say, I'm going to be better next time. Because I want to be more like Christ. And some of you might look at this and you're like, well, what if I never get to the perfect holiness part? You will. Like, it's not like you kind of just like, you make it halfway and then if you die, you die. No, when after death or when Jesus returns, you are going to be made perfectly holy. 
That's how it works. You will be made perfectly holy if you put your faith in him. But remember this. You're not defined by your sin. You're no longer defined by the ways that you mess up. You're not defined by your addiction. You're not defined by any mental illness that you, that you have. You're not defined by the way that you treat your friends here compared to how you treat your friends somewhere else. You're not defined by your social media presence. You're not defined by what others think of you. You're defined by the sanctifying work of Christ on the cross. And there's freedom in that. Let that be a burden off of your shoulders. And look and see what it looks like to be sanctified. And so I'm going to give you a few minutes at tables to talk about that for a little bit. What does it look like to be sanctified? What does it look like to be made new? All right? So spend some time at your tables talking about some of these questions, and then I will wrap us up. So I know that wasn't a lot of time. I want to give us, I want to give us time to worship. So the band can go ahead and make their way up here. All right, so I know that wasn't I know that wasn't a lot of time, but I want us to I want us to be able to to spend some time reflecting on this in worship. When we think about being sanctified, when we think about being made new, life before Christ, you probably would not have been super into worship music. Time like this would have just been like I don't really want to be a part of this. And for some of you eighth graders, you might be thinking that. But I want to encourage you that as we go into worship, as we sing the truth that we're going to sing in these songs, to remember what it looks like to be sanctified, that you are constantly being made new, that your heart is being renewed all the time, and that there's going to be times when life's up and down, there's going to be hills, there's going to be valleys, there's going to be times when life is really good and when life really sucks. But we can all come together and reflect on the truth of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, all right? So I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll get into worship, all right? Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word, Lord, that you are sanctifier, that you're constantly making us new, that you're working on our hearts to mend us and to make us better. Lord, never let us forget that and let us always strive towards that. Lord, as we sing these truths out to you, let us never forget of your son, and his work on the cross. In him I pray, amen.